Welcome to the Fucking Fridays podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Carver. And I'm your co-host, Taylor Carver. Join us as we explore our journey as a couple, navigating through relationship challenges while also evolving individually and as a team. Not only will we be chatting about our relationship, but also hope to entertain you as we navigate through adulthood while trying to keep things spicy. Tune in every Friday and we will be sure to kick off your weekend with a bang. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome to episode three of fucking Fridays. Welcome back. We are happy to have you here. And we kind of left off with why we decided to start going to couples therapy, but we are going to backtrack just a little bit because I think it's important for Taylor and I to both speak about our journeys with therapy. And Taylor started going to individual therapy before myself. And then I started going to individual therapy. And then we ended up doing the couples therapy. So I want to kind of start off with um, Taylor probably started, you probably started going to therapy like what, a year before I started going? Like I started going to therapy about, uh, I would say about a year before Sophia Um, it was something that I decided that I needed for myself. Uh, it wasn't just due to me becoming a very loud and angry and upset person. Um, so as I mentioned in last episode, um, went through a couple therapists that did not work out. Um, it took a lot of hard work and research. Shout out to psychology.com. I am still currently with this therapist. We are going on three and a half years strong And I can proudly say that we have put in a lot of work. Uh, The specific therapy that I started with uh, was for trauma, which I'll get into. And it is called EMDR. It is called, uh, which stands for eye movement, desensitization, and uh, reprocessing. Uh, Basically what that does, um, to give you an idea, is where you blink your eyes side to side in a very fast pattern, sometimes slow pattern, depending on what you're processing, to alleviate uh, traumatic experiences um, and to alleviate uh, the traumatic stress, which could at least relate to uh, PTSD. A lot of people active in the military use this. And what's really cool is Taylor was able or is able to do this therapy all over like remotely like through through zoom and i remember we were both kind of like hey do we think that this type of therapy is going to work through zoom and i remember like the first couple times you did it you were like i have felt stuff in my body that you've never felt before and i thought that was so cool over the you know over the computer um yeah i'm actually like getting hot sensations thinking about it so by doing this rapid eye pattern followed by heavy, deep breathing, um, you are actually able to feel certain sensations in your body. And depending on where those sensations are, will determine where the trauma has, has um, affected you. Uh, a lot of that buildup was in my chest. Not surprised. A lot of us have anxiety, um, which comes through the chest area. Um, but even feet, there were certain times my feet would tingle. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. But again, there were other times where you felt nothing and that doesn't, you know, in my head, I thought, okay, that means I'm numb to the trauma, which is why I never used it. Um, no, that just means we were, I was never, never able to surface the trauma, um, which took, uh, 
you know, digging into deeper, sir, I was questioning how could this type of therapy work over Zoom? Um, This was during COVID where uh, therapy sessions were not, you know, allowed to be in person, um, or at least a lot of therapists converted to um, Zoom sessions. And sure enough, I gave it a try. Um, The first three sessions, I think I bawled my eyes out and was sweating profusely, like the first two times, I literally sweat through my pants. Oh my God. I remember you telling me that. Um, which is crazy. Um, but it it was such a release and a relief. Um, the release of just sweating, getting all my emotions out. Um, and of course, through therapy, you find out things. The therapist, if, you, if it's a good therapist, they're going to pull shit out that you did not know even existed. Yeah. Um, I'm not here to call anybody out, but like we went through all the way up until from when I was a very young child, um, I was molested, which caused a lot of uh, trauma because the molestation happened for over uh, a year. Uh, it was like a two-year period uh, where I was threatened that I would be killed. My family would be killed if I tattled. Um, and Brave Me one day was we were in the van with my parents um, and one of my aunts and I don't know where it came from, but I out of nowhere was like, Hey, um, what's his name said? He's going to kill me if I tell you this, but he's been touching my privates for two years and doing other things. So uh, long enough, you know, as I realized that actually caused a lot of issues and some of my developmental issues, Um, I do think I'm a very smart individual. Oh yeah. That's to say the least, but, um, I am diagnosed with ADHD and, uh, what I found and what I've learned through therapy is a lot of my ADHD tendencies, my hyper-focus, um, the, the way I handle things, my outburst, everything kind of stems from the first traumatic experience. Yeah. I'm sorry, babe. (laughs) I'm really proud of you for sharing that part of the reason I never shared like I was molested was because I never wanted it to be woe is me um I felt like you know if we fast forward um and some of you may know who do know me personally I'm a very outgoing vocal happy-go-lucky uh individual um so I never saw or I never looked at my me being molested and treated in a certain way as a barrier or as I'm or even I'm a lesbian because of this. Um, I never used that as a testimony as to who I was. But what I'm using it now for is just to share like it did actually cause other issues. Um, I actually was almost held back in pre-K because my teacher was like, Taylor doesn't talk. She's like almost nonverbal, um, which I, you know, if you think about it, it's like kind of borderline autistic, mm-hmm. right? 80, I wasn't that's diagnosed. That's what they would assume. But. That's what they would have, or that's what they were assuming. Um, at the time, um, I'm 31 years old. So at the time, uh, autism wasn't diagnosed at such an early age. Thankfully, it is now. Um, shout out to Jenny. She knows. And I mean, I had boyfriends never engaged in sexual activity. Um, and I couldn't figure out why. And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. Uh, <laughs> but um, so anyway, didn't want to use that as as an excuse. Um, but what that did was foster even more unhealthy relationships with not just men, but women. And, you know, again, not to call anybody out, but um, once I did become or, or 
once I did come out as lesbian or bisexual, um, I felt like my whole life kind of turned upside down with where I came from in a good way or in a bad way. I would say starting off in a, in a terrible way. Um, I lost a lot of my friends. Um, I was being accused of certain things um, in high school. Um, so I kind of fell into like this bad girl phase where, you know, I had to, I had multiple division one scholarships, but it was like, oh, Taylor's the girl that's a lesbian. She smokes weed. Ooh, big whoop. And, you know, <laughs> so at that point I was like, I sure as hell can't tell people I was, I was molested. They're going to think like, who is this girl? What is her family? What's going on? So I just kind of tucked that away and I never knew it, it hurt me. Um, yeah. and you know, for the longest time as well, like I would have such a weird stink toward guys. Um, it's kind of like, I feel like that's where my masculine energy comes out. I was going to say, I, I feel like, no, of course you did. Like, how could you trust any guys? You know what I mean? Right. And then when you look at now, um, my <laughs> best friends are guys and I, and I love the guys that are good. I love a good guy simple. Um, I love a good guy. I'm not saying you're, you know, you have to be perfect. You're not going to fight. I just love a guy, which we're going to talk about this in a further episode who can be in touch with their, uh, feminine side. Um, I think feminine and masculine energies go both ways. I'm not here to say I classify by this or that based off male or female. Um, but for the longest time I had a grudge against men, unless it was my father, my uncles, or my brother's. Yeah. And I will say you grew up around really great men. Like when it comes to your dad and your and your uncles and all your parents' friends, like your brothers are fantastic. So I'm glad that you had that support system and I'm really happy that your therapist like helped you work through that even more. And I I see how much like you've grown through that. And yeah. Little side note. Um you know, as we're talking about men, <laughs> I was like, I have to have a female therapist. Oh my God, it was terrible. Uh, the therapist I'm with is a male and he is the best therapist ever. And I told him he actually, if I look back three years ago, I'm not saying he wholeheartedly changed my aspect on males, but he's helped me understand like where the stigma of a male role comes from, which we talked about in trauma. If we go back to hunter and gatherer days, um, which fucking Friday's podcast. One of them is sex where I want to share this. Actually, it's really important. So as hunter and gatherers, men were trained to go out and be uh, the hunter, right? So that's why men essentially are more horny or so they say uh, they're more horny because they're the ones that go after it. Their guards down. They are able to let all uh, side aspects go so they can just get, go after what they're going for, which in today's world would be sex where the woman is uh, the one at home, not hunting, not gathering. Uh, she's just at home holding the fort down. Uh, so it's really hard for a woman from what he explained to just let go in the sexual world. That way, that's why men uh, orgasm quicker. Mm. So whole science behind it. Yeah. Can you also touch on the part about the like, anxiety in the chest like the dagger yeah because i that's just yes this is just part of it i think it's so cool now when we're talking about anxiety in our chest this is for all of us 
Um, the reason we hold so much stress in our chest and our shoulders, um, a lot of us have a lot of neck tension issues. That's me. Um, so yes, as it was described, um, when we go back to again, hunter gatherer fighting stages, the war, um, in order to protect ourselves. um, was this way um right when we think of protection we literally think with your arms like across your chest for those of you that can't see this you like ball up and and hide and coil in your chest because as you know you need to you need to protect your heart um from getting stabbed or a dagger uh drawn through it so what this meant in terms of like evolution um if we're speaking in more modern terms evolution you know world war ii so and so um we had to protect our chest from dying that is partly why through evolution and genetics nowadays all of our anxiety is written and felt through our chest and that is why we hold a lot of like neck and shoulder tension because the whole upper region of our body is a defense mechanism that we were trained over time how to adapt. So we, we've we been taught to literally hold all this tension, all this anxiousness and anxiety in our chest, in our neck and in our back, uh, which is causing issues for all of mm-hmm. us in today's society. So yeah, I was gonna say the moment I get stressed, it's like, all my neck in my in my chest and yeah. it, it just makes sense so let's go back to the emdr that's how you say it correct emdr correct so i know you guys did it in chronological order pretty much like with your life so you started with the first trauma that you can remember and moved on but you like you don't do it with him anymore or you do it as needed because i know like after you graduated or can you kind of explain to them like sure you go through the timeline and then now you just do normal sessions sure so it did take me i did one full year of emdr it took me a full year to get through every single event um and trauma that had happened And when I thought I, quote, graduated, we started doing more of like a talk therapy version and um, talking about healthy outlets, getting into the gym, uh, certain things that would work for me with how my brain functions. Um, And within that time, as I was trying to come up with ways to better myself and hold down to alleviate and remember that I'm safe. Uh, The biggest thing out of EMDR is to remind yourself that you're safe now and to not associate those old patterns or those old experiences with today's world, which is still really hard, by the way. Oh, I I still struggle with it. Oh, yeah. Um, It's much better. So it took me a year to fully finish EMDR. And then we started working on, as we were working on, ways to cope, ways to maintain uh, my safety where I'm at, where I'm at in my relationship, and most importantly, how I feel about myself and how I can be confident in myself um, to know that I am safe and that those are just memories um, and I don't have to associate myself with them anymore. However, um, there came a point where I had another Uh, outburst, if you will, um, a very like upsetting moment. And within that time, my dad had also been diagnosed with cancer, not an excuse, but I feel like my world crumbled. I, it's kind of like going back into a relapse period. Um, I felt like everything I had worked for that year prior to kind of went out the door. Um, and my therapist will tell you the same thing that that's what I told him. I was like, what the fuck? I just did all this work. 
and now my dad's dying of cancer. Like, what do I do? Um, so then we started focusing on my dad, mm-hmm. um, which was very traumatic. And he was going through a lot. He was given six months to live. Um, but he actually exceeded three years, which is amazing. It was amazing. We got to go to Vegas in that time. Yeah. So there was there was a lot of good things out of that, um, which we'll get into later. But so I went through EMDR. And for those of you going through p- therapy, just because you finish a session or you think you, quote, check it off the box, you, you don't necessarily. Um, that's what I thought therapy was, was like checking all the boxes. And then all of a sudden you're good and it goes away. It yeah. doesn't. Uh, my trauma didn't go away it was just I had to again remind myself that they're there and it's okay if they're there that I'm in a good space yeah so even after a year I wasn't able to understand that so I redid my therapist and I redid the entire EMDR and went through every experience again I didn't realize that yeah okay no wonder (laughs) and I had to relive those moments and Throughout EMDR, I will share one thing. It depends on how severe the trauma is. I didn't do this a whole lot, but there were maybe two times, which is pretty low, um, where while you're doing these rapid eye pattern movements side to side, there is a likelihood of you having an outburst during that period. And one of those times was uh, a a point of my ex and I yelling, and I yelled, fuck you, like really loud during my EMDR session and paused and was like, it's okay, keep going, keep going. So there are times during these EMDR sessions where you actually like feel like you're in that moment and you're like yelling. That's wild. But I imagine you feel good after you do You do the yelling, right? Yes, it's definitely a release. Yeah. Or a relief. And just to be like full context, Taylor did sit me down and I'm pretty sure your therapist probably told you to tell me and was like, hey, while we're opening this up and going through this, like I am going to be very vulnerable. So it would be like if we knew Taylor had a session, an EMDR session, we would just be very relaxed that night. We would like keep the lights dim, watch like a feel good show, like be all cuddled up. Uh, our our therapist, who was our couples therapist too, and we will have another episode where we talk about our favorite tools. I don't want to give them all away now, but she would call it like cocooning. So you would like literally just like cocoon and like be there for each other essentially. So make sure you're, I would say if you're in a serious relationship, especially, you know, somebody that wants to assist and be there for you, like I am for Taylor and Taylor is for me, like just be really straight up because I can't imagine how would it I would have felt if I wasn't aware. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was embarrassed to do therapy, let alone trauma therapy. I was like, everybody thinks I'm this happy person, which I am. I don't look at this as um, something negative. I was just I didn't want to be perceived as, you know, the 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 perceived notion of therapy is if if you're going to therapy, something's wrong with you. Um, and that's one of the stigmas Sophia and I want to break. Therapy can be very useful. Um, however, in the beginning, it's very hard and it actually almost feels very unsuccessful in the beginning. One of them is making sure you find the right fit. Um, like I said, it, it took me almost a year to find a therapist and I just, I was, I was ready to give up. Sophia actually is the one that was like, no, 
you need to find a therapist like you've put too much work into not, um, you know, kind of goes into insurance and I feel like, yeah, they don't even have to get into it. That is unfortunate. I do feel like therapy needs to be much more accessible to everybody. But again, like we mentioned, if you can kind of skimp out on maybe going to the bar every weekend just to make sure you have enough money to get a session in, whether it's once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, I do think it's really, really beneficial. And one thing with therapy, the best thing that I didn't realize is you're talking to a stranger but it's a professional stranger and it's really nice to have somebody that's unbiased who's who's just there for you. Um, there's some Mondays where I'm, I just need to talk. I just need somebody that doesn't know me as a person but knows enough to say, hey, yeah, you probably should have done this instead or hey, actually like you should have done this or let's just talk what's going on right now. How are you feeling? It's really nice to have an unbiased opinion. Um, but also, you know, as you build a relationship with your therapist, I feel like my therapist knows me better than anybody. And I've never even met this person yeah. in, in person. I love that, babe. I'm proud of you. Uh, there's definitely a lot of techniques that I would like to share for free <laughs> um, on what can help you with therapy or coping with maybe a hard time, um, being anxious, um, breathing techniques, like pretty cliche things that we know as humans, but sometimes it just takes somebody to remind you. Um, one of the first things my therapist ever told me that I'll never forget is, have you ran before? I was like, yeah, in high school, I ran track. It's been years. He goes, okay, now that I know you ran track, um, treat this as it's a, it's your first run. You're not a marathon runner. You might only be able to run for 30 seconds but you have to start somewhere. And when you think of the context of that, it's like, you know, with therapy, you don't have like, yes, put yourself out there, but like nothing's just gonna, you don't just wake up one day and you're a super athlete, right? Point is, you know, give things a try. Don't give up. If there's anything I can say with therapy is don't give up because I did. I was at a breaking point. I was working in a schizophrenic psych ward while also thinking at one point that I maybe needed to be in a psych ward. So kind of crazy to think about, but, you know, I was able to bring myself out of that with the help and in love of Sophia, my wife, um, my family as well. Um, But I was so embarrassed. I mean, some of my, most of my family doesn't even know that I've gone through this process. They maybe know I go to therapy. A lot of them think it was just for my dad. So, you know, I've just been embarrassed to share this because I've just never wanted it to be like poor Taylor. But I just, what I want out of this is to share that like we go through shit, we're humans. And throughout life, as my therapist explained, we have put intact on a lot of trauma for over the years from our ancestors, eating habits, wars, things that we don't even realize do become genetics. Um, Rather, they're a part of us today or not. We hold that trauma in us. It's very important to release it. And again, doesn't mean you have to be a marathon runner. If you're not athletic or you have no desire to do anything as an outlet in terms of a workout, but there are other ways that you can have an outlet um, without it being working out or something. There's a lot of other outlets. You got to start somewhere. Got to start from zero. Yep. At some point. Good job, babe. 
So that's that's all I have for that's all I got. Great job. And next episode, I will be going into my therapy journey and then we'll go into our couples from there. Bye guys. See you later. Thank you.